0: Good morning, morning. if you guys will get your Bibles out or whatever it is that you used to read from, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 13 with me this morning. All right, so officially now we are about halfway through Summer Bible Jam. And if you're looking at me going, what the heck is a summer Bible jam? Where am I? I guess you are new to what's happening around here. Summer Bible jam. We have taken the last few summers to do something that for a Christian might be one of the most important things that we can make sure that we're doing. And that is having a a sincere love for this word. And quite honestly, you know, you're only going to read this word, study this word, and hang out in this word if this word is having a living impact on you. And I mean personally. All right? So everybody's come together here this morning. We're grateful that we're together, and that's a dimension of how we engage God's word is through the preaching of God's word, and that's all throughout the Bible as well. How many of you guys would be aware that there is a growing Practice amongst Christians to almost only be receiving in these kinds of settings, and very little receiving being done by you opening the Bible yourself, sitting in the presence of God and reading the Bible yourself. Right. So, listen. Podcasts don't count. um, Devotional readings don't count. Right, if I, so if I just were to ask you, when was the last time you sat down just with this book, you and God, and read it, and lights came on, and faith flooded your heart, or conviction found its way into your soul, in a sense of whatever you were doing that you know you're not supposed to be doing began to get disturbed, and, and God's presence began to nudge on that thing and impact it or a sense of something God's calling you to that you've been ignoring or shutting your ears to or been fearful about, you begin to get faith for that. And a sense of determination came into your heart. And boldness and courage came there. Listen, now we hope that's what a a Sunday meeting feels like. That God meets us and this sense of fresh enablement floods our lives. But I don't know, we should not feel like reading the Bible is not going to be that way. Reading the Bible should be that way. This Bible is living and active and powerful and it dives down deep into us. It judges our thoughts and our intentions and what's going on in our hearts. So this is a powerful thing we have in our laps today. So without a show of hands though, when was the last time you encountered God when you read your Bible? I thank God for everybody here who's got some kind of a Bible reading plan going on. That you regularly sit down and read your Bible. That you've got one of those through the year in the Bible things happening. All those things are very important. But that can fall short too. Because you can be reading words that never get off the pages into you. And that's the one thing that we're after in Summer Bible Jam this year. Is to get us to a place where whether you read a big piece of scripture or a small piece of scripture. That you don't escape that word. That your life gets up next to it and you feel the heat of it. And sometimes that heat makes you stop doing something. Sometimes that heat makes you start doing something. Sometimes that heat makes you rejoice in God. And you came in here this morning and you sang songs louder than you've been singing them lately. Because something about God came alive to you. That's what the word of God ought to be doing. So Summer Bible Jam, we've been visiting the various types of readings and writings that are in Scripture. God chose a variety of ways of communicating. Every book of the Bible is not written exactly the same way. It's not intended to be listened to exactly the same way. So we've been going through what's called genres of the Bible. And one of the genres we're going to visit this morning is called the Gospels. So we know there's four Gospels and you're going to be turning to Matthew, the first of those four Gospels. What is a gospel? All right, here's a, here's a little homework assignment for you. Where do I have this? You guys got this handed to you? This little handout that's in your bulletin this morning. There's a section in there called gospel, seeing and reading in a genre of the gospels. And there's a little bit of help right there before you get started. So this week you're going to be reading. There's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday assignment for your reading. This little card here, get at home with it today, right? So when you go home tonight and you just sit down and look at that, because it's going to posture you to do something that's going to help you receive from the Gospels. Well, you know, what are the Gospels? Well, God had something in mind when he wrote the Gospels. He intended them to be a particular way. So when you open the Bible to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you are reading a, a, what I'll call a biographical sketch of the life of Jesus, a piece of his life, bits and portions of it's not everything he ever did not everything he ever said but it's what god intended for us to know about so that communicates something right there but when you're in the gospels i think i put this in your outline there you, you you should be looking for these these four dimensions right because they are about his life what life did he live the death that he died, the events of his life, I'm looking for that. They're about the times in which Jesus came. The Bible says in the fullness of time, at just the right moment, God sent forth his son. So Jesus didn't come to 21st century Hollywood and walk around and reveal what he had to reveal around. He came to 1st century Palestine and revealed himself into that culture. Well, you might want to know that. and You might want to know a little bit about that. His ministry, what was he doing? You know, people read the Bible today, and you might be one of them. And I hope this doesn't offend you as much as it makes you go back and reread the Gospels. And you're, you're thinking, well, the Gospels is, you know, the account of Jesus the hippie, lover of the underdog. That's what it's about, man, truly. And so he just showed up on the scene where everybody was kind of like having a hard time with each other and just tried to be an encourager, man. Come on. That's what Jesus was doing. Uh, I, you know... Go back and read the Gospels, okay? Because if you don't catch that there's a ministry going on here, he's got a mission that he's on, that it wasn't an accident for him to land on a cross and be crucified and have to be raised from the dead, and that God played a role in that, prescribed that event and visited upon him the wrath of God. In punishment for man's sins if you don't get catch that well then you, you're going really not catching the gospels the gospels are written for a reason See, so, and then his teachings jesus went about teaching things and people interacted with his teachings and we'll see some of that today and we're going to see specifically today jesus taught a lot through the means of what's called parables right and we all know that you know even if you've read the bible a little bit you know jesus spoke often in parables he would, he would construct and make up stories in order to illustrate particular points. And, and what I like to say, and I think this bears out. If you'll go read the Gospels and then watch the audience respond to, the, to these parables. When Jesus would make up a parable and stick it out there. It was quite often in order to pick a fight. With, not just with people so much, but with their way of thinking. Their way of living. The ideas that were in them. The traditions that they had created. And so he would... If you read a parable, that parable is... It's, it's like it's tailor-made for that moment. It's like a heat-seeking missile. There's something it's after. And when it finds it, it zeroes in on it. So if you're listening to the parable, you might find yourself on the wrong end of it. And suddenly, it's offensive. And you remember, then they picked up stones. They wanted to stone him at moments they were hot because you know listen to this story and it sounds okay and then there's this plot twist toward the end where suddenly you know the perceived good guys out there become the bad guy and then he just finishes and walks on and you know they're left with did you get was he talking about us you know yes exactly and and you don't want to escape parables right I mean, I hope you're not one of those people that reads the Bible and you want to escape the, the, the piercing element of it. The Bible's living and active. It's, it's supposed to do surgery on you. It's supposed to reach in there and cut out something that's going to hurt you. If you leave that thing in you much longer, that's going to hurt you. Not only is it going to hurt you, it, it's going to displease and not glorify God. So God in his word comes and does surgery. And these parables are surgical, man find their way in the realities of our lives. And so we're going to look today at the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. But but let me do this and if you don't have a bible with pages, you're going to be a little challenged right now. Sorry. All right, so if I'm just kind of getting a feel for why why this heat seeking missile right? Why is Jesus about to give this parable? This is just a collection of stories. You know, here's another neat story, you know, Huckleberry Finn and, you know, the guy who climbed a bean stalk, et cetera. just fairy tales, right? Now these parables are after something. And if I look in the context here of where this parable is given, let's look at the context first. This is what I mean by getting something out of your Bible, right? You you can come to Matthew 13, but if you don't get what I'm about to say, you got no adventure in what you're reading, right? So if I back up just a little bit, I get a little bit of the context here. So if I back up maybe to Matthew chapter 11, and Jesus begins to interact with the followers of John the Baptist. I'm not going to read through, they just want you to see the context. So there's this revelation about john the baptist and jesus tells his followers hey go tell john all this stuff that i'm doing i'm doing this i'm doing this i'm doing this i'm doing this in other words what i'm doing he ought to be able to catch who i am he ought to be able to come to understand who i really am but then he turns his attention to the crowds he says the crowds don't get it the people around me they don't get it as a matter of fact they don't get john the baptist And he begins to explain that. He says, John the Baptist, of men born on earth, there's none greater ever than John the Baptist. But you guys don't treat him that way. Your culture doesn't treat him that way. You don't recognize who he is. As a matter of fact, he comes among you sent by God. And if you can stand it, he's Elijah come to you. He's a significant player, but you're not treating him like a significant player. God sent him to you. And you said, you know, here he comes, he doesn't eat or drink among you. And you said he has a demon. Now the son of God comes, son of man has shown up. He eats and he drinks and you call him a glutton and a drunkard. You guys refuse to receive what God is sending to you. And then he turns after that, you go a little bit further over to verse 20 there in chapter 11. And he starts talking about these cities. Where great signs had been performed. Chorazin. Bethsaida. Great things have happened among you. Signs from God that if you were listening and reading them. They would have impacted your lives. But there's no impact. If the things that had happened among you. Had happened back in Tyre and Sidon and Sodom. Those cities that fell under judgment by God. They would have turned and repented. They would have responded to what God did. You guys don't respond. You're unresponsive. And he goes on and talks about his teachings. Jesus modeled that he was Lord of the Sabbath. This Sabbath principle that was being taught in the Old Testament. Jesus comes and teaches, I'm the fulfillment of all this. I'm the one fulfilling all these signs. The things that they've been waiting for. That they should have been sitting on the edge of their seats thinking, Finally, the day that we've all been waiting for. The Old Testament promises and prophecies are being fulfilled in this one right here. And Jesus comes and says, he's, he's Lord of the Sabbath. And he begins to do things on the Sabbath that only the Lord of the Sabbath could do. They didn't receive that either. They begin to challenge him. They begin to oppose him. They begin to treat him like a violator of God. Rather than the one fulfilling the things that God was doing. Even healed people. Extending the mercy of God on the Sabbath day. They took issue with that. They wouldn't receive from him. They asked for a sign. Can you imagine all the signs that Jesus performed? All the fulfillment, he's fulfilling everything they've ever been taught from the old testament. And they say, Well, well show us a sign. You know, it's a good thing that that I'm you know, I'm not writing the Bible. I think I'd have cheated in here I said, You idiot, what do you the think these all these things were? These <laughs> so were all signs. When Jesus turns and says, Hey, you know what? No sign's gonna be given to you except except that of Jonah. Well, what is that? Just Jesus fulfilling another landmark. That he is the fulfillment of what Jonah the prophet spoke of and modeled. And then Solomon. He mentions Solomon. He says, and one greater than Solomon is in your midst. All right, so this is what you get leading into Jesus interacting with these crowds. God doing all these things. Sending all this revelation to them. And they are unresponsive and unaffected by it. And then you start reading in Matthew chapter 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. He who has ears, let him hear. This was not a group who had ears. Jesus had used that same phrase earlier in Revelation to John the Baptist. If you will, he's Elijah, come. Now he who has ears, let him hear. But here here was the problem. Here's what's being modeled here. Is this audience had a hearing problem. And that hearing problem, as Jesus is about to illustrate here, it's not, a, it's not a, a matter of biological, physiological dysfunction of your ears. He said your hearing and your receiving is a problem in your heart. And your heart is like soil into which seed gets sown. And so after all this interaction with Jesus and the culture around him and the leaders of his day... Jesus illustrates their lives and he turns them and says, you know, all this word and revelation that God has sent to you, it's not producing fruit. Let me illustrate that. The sower went out to sow. That's why we get this parable, because of the non-receptive nature in the human heart. And so Jesus illustrates that. And there's some things here for us to pick up on. I just want us to help us see some of these things, right? Remember we said part of really meditating on God's word is, is seeing some things. There's something here to see. And, and we need to get out of the bad habit of, of racing past things and not seeing them, right? So my guess is, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but my guess is there's a lot of people in this room who have read Matthew chapter 13 without seeing its context, And so you've just picked up a story about, uh, kind of a cool story about a little farmer guy throwing seeds on the ground, right? Without seeing the context that there's an audience here and there's a missile launched into the heart of that audience. Because if I read it that way, because what we're going to do at the end of this message is what we ought to be doing often in the Bible is I'm going to pull my life into proximity of this word. And I'm going to make me stand right next to this parable. And I'm going to find out what kind of audience I might be to God's word being sown into my heart. And I'm not just going to be somebody standing at a distance going, boy, those people in the first century, what a bunch of idiots, huh? I did my devotional reading today and boy, were they numbskulls. Oh my goodness. Let's get together and talk about it. Uh, that, that, that's, that's a little bit of an observation. Yeah, they were. Yeah, that's, that's true. Is that where you let the word of God go? Because it's supposed to penetrate my heart. It's supposed to come to me. It's supposed to agitate my life and spur me on to godliness and impact me a little bit. So there's some great stuff here. Let's not race past some of it. Let's keep reading though. Verse 10. We're going to find out there's two sets of people. Um, One giant mistake you make in in reading the Bible is not recognizing that the Bible is always, always speaking to two sets of people. Always. And so if you read it like, no, everybody's on the same ground and God deals and faces everybody and speaks to everybody exactly the same way. Can I just tell you, I've been reading the Bible a long time. You have not read the Bible very well. There are two sets of people in the Bible. There are those who are going to be in covenant with God and there are those who are not. And everybody falls into one of those categories. And so you kind of pick up on some of them here. Verse 10. says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Right? There's a them. And he answered them, To you, and there's a you, To you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. Right? And I'm doing something very obvious here, but I You gotta see things when you read the Bible. So if you're not familiar with reading the Bible and you open this passage up, those words should scream at you. Well, wait, who's them and who's us? Well, the Bible makes that clear in many, many places, right? But let's just stick in this context here. Verse twelve. It says, For the to the one who has, more will be given. Has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Don't don't miss something here, especially as it regards those who are in relationship with God, Christians who have come into a covenant relationship with a heavenly Father. This passage is saying something about you. It's saying something about you that might be very helpful when you go to sit down with your Bible. And read it. And enjoy it. And get something out of it. And expect to get something out of it. All right, but don't let me, I don't want to get past this this point here. I want to, I think I put this in your notes. In verse 11, you get to see humility as a Christian. He answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. If you're a Christian here today, I would suspect there's a lot about the kingdom of God you know. There's a lot that you understand. There's a lot that operates in you, that forms your opinions about things. It forms your practices. It forms the way you relate to people. It forms your worldview and how you look out at the world and you see what's good in it and what's bad, what's broken and what works. How'd you come to all that stuff? Pretty smart fellow, aren't you? That's how you came to it. Diligent studier. That's how you came to it. Not like all the slackers out there who just don't know what you know, right? Do you see what's in this verse? A giant installation of humility. Why do you know what you know? Why do you see what you see? Why do these convictions go off inside your soul? Why does clarity come and you look at that situation and you say, you don't do it that way, you do it this way? And then you bump into somebody who's doing it that way. How do, you, how do you treat that guy, that person? Like you're superior to them? Like they're a stinking idiot? What the heck is wrong with you kind of a thing? See, that would mean you've read the parable of the sower too many times and not seen what's there. Because the word of God is bearing fruit in your life, isn't it? And it's transforming your way of thinking. And it's changing your value system. And you see some things differently now. But you've overlooked why that's true. It has been given to you to see these things. Some mysterious way God has pulled back the blinders and let us see. That's What the Bible describes about anybody here who gets salvation. You understand who Jesus Christ is and who he's not. You see those things because God in his grace opened our eyes and he let us see. And my question always behind that is, God, why me? Why didn't you let me see this? I got saved at 14 years old. Right before I turned 15. Did you let me see this? Why did that make sense to me? Why did I come to a place where I knew that what I what I needed to do was respond to God in faith and give my life back to Him? It's His. Why did that make sense to me? When there's so many people in the world who are convinced their life is their own. Don't try and take the title deed of my life away from me. This is my life. You and God and anybody else can't tell me how to run it. Hey, that's how I was living. Suddenly, this made sense to me. This veil was pulled back and I could see, Keith, it has been granted to you to see these things. Well, in this passage, why is it that some people don't see? Well, verse 15, Jesus says, This people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Alright, so if you're reading theologically here, you should be hearing the sound of a guitar string being pulled, and attention being created. That's very tight. On the one hand, what this passage says is, if there's anybody in this room today who sees these things, who hears them, whose heart opens and receives them, God did that. You can't take an ounce of credit for that. You can't stick your chest out. You can't think you're awesome. God did that in his grace. And then this same verse turns around and says, if there's anybody here whose heart is closed and you don't receive God's word, you did that. You see that in the passage here? Well, wait a minute. I thought God did. What do I do? I'm not doing that, but God's not doing this. and. Yeah, that's exactly what's there. So if you have a theology that cuts that tension, you 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 bust up this passage. You mistreat this passage. You mistreat many others, by the way, when you do that too. So if you're here, because this parable doesn't make any sense for Jesus to go on and explain the, the four soils, if there's nothing you and I can do with that. It's four soils, but I guess what we're supposed to conclude is... Cross your fingers and hope God does something. You know, Jesus speaks to them like, you know what? The soil of your life, you created that condition. You're responsible for that. And you might want to do something with that. So there's a responsibility element here while the Bible highlights the sovereign working of God. But I want us to notice something. If you're, if you're a Christian and God is... At work in you. And these disciples represent those followers of Christ. Who are in a covenant relationship with God. And God is at work. And God is at work in his word. When they sit down to read his word. God is at work. right? So look at some of these phrases here. If you're picking your Bible up. And you're trying to come to know something about God. Verse 11 says this about you. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. You have an in. You get access to special information. When you read the Bible. It's going to impact you in a different way. Than when those people read the Bible. That's what that says. Because there's things hidden here. That the natural eye cannot see. But God will let you see it. All right, this is what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Apostle Paul kind of elaborates on this. Reality a little bit. in Chapter 2 verse 7. Apostle Paul speaking to the church, he says, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they'd have seen who Jesus really was, they'd have never nailed him to a cross. It's not as though these guys were standing up there and saying, Hey, Yahweh, Yahweh, Come as a man. The eternal God right here. Let's nail him to a cross while we can. And didn't see that. He was just some vagrant from Galilee. Because if they could have seen. They'd have seen something different. And done something different. But as it's written Paul says. What no eye has seen. Nor ear heard. Nor the heart of man imagined. What God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the spirit do you hear that you're not just the average seventh grade reading level skill person picking up a book and reading it something more is here you might not think you're much of a reader but something more is here A God who by the Spirit reveals these things to us. Verse 12. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, right? You got to have some equipment here. You got to be born again spiritually. You just can't be one of them. You got to be one of us. You've got to have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. Verse 14, he says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You now, I know that sometimes that verse right there it highlights that natural-minded element that we encounter in people, in one another, in the world. And that can be one of those moments where a Christian who comes in contact with that kind of has that snarling, arrogant attitude. You're just natural minded. That kind of that way of thinking is just natural minded. You're just natural minded person. Okay. In that moment you suddenly have forgotten how you became spiritually minded. It's not because you're smarter than that person. You should scratch your head. When you hear somebody talking in a very confused, out-of-touch Worldly, doesn't get God or anything manner, you should scratch your head and go, why is that not me? How come I don't think just like that? It's humbling. It's humbling in the church. It's humbling for husbands and wives. It's humbling for parents and children and I get some attitude that, that I'm on the high ground here and I see some things that you don't see and I know how it really ought to be because there's something superior in me than there is in you. Why don't you just get it together, you slacker? Right, Husbands and wives, you do this, we do this to each other, don't we? Parents and children, we do this. We do this in the kingdom of God. Somebody comes in and says something stupid in your covenant group. It's not a moment of humility where you go, oh. Man, I have said a hundred worse stupid things than that. And I'm amazed that I I don't think the way I used to think. And boy, I had some bad ideas. God, what grace has come to me to make me spiritually minded because the Spirit has shown me these things. I didn't show them to myself. And This is humbling. Do I see that? Right When I'm reading this passage, I have a parable of the Do you see that? Are you humbled by reading that? I don't want to see things when I read the Bible. I could close the Bible right now. We could could have church right now, couldn't we? Because that was hidden there. I didn't need to read a lot. I just needed to read a little bit about what was there and see it and be affected by it. There's some interesting stuff here. Did you know that there were secrets in the kingdom? Did y'all know that? Did y'all know that there's a God over everything who keeps secrets? That sounds wrong, doesn't it? can't keep secrets. That's, I mean, keeping secrets when you're a kid, that's wrong. You can't keep secrets. Did, did you know that about the God of the universe? Apparently, he hasn't read the Freedom of Information Act. <laughs> Listen, one of the massive problems, I said this a couple of weeks ago, one of the massive problems for Americans reading the Bible is that we are more Americanized than we are Biblicized, if that's a word. So the values we've learned from the Constitution, the articles, and the way democracy operates in the world, they're in us, man. Civics class was more effective than you thought it was, and all that year after year, learning about Thomas Jefferson, those dudes writing this stuff down, got in us like, we are the greatest country in the world. You know those elected officials? They need to disclose to us what they're up to. We need to put this little thing together called the Freedom of Information Act. And they need to tell us what's going on. And, you know, that sits around, gets inside of us, and then we come to God. You know, God, you need to tell me what's going on. You've got some explaining to do. I want to know why my life is this way and it's not that way. Did you know God's got lots of secrets? And I can tell you a lot of reasons why that's a good thing. But God apparently feels no need to disclose everything to us. The scriptures always leave all kinds of gaps in place. And then they come right out and tell us that. That there are these secrets. There's this behind the scenes thing going on. There's this this stuff God's doing to orchestrate sovereignly the storyline of his creation. And he doesn't tell us about it. But there are some of these secrets that he reveals to us by the Spirit. That's that's in this passage. I I want to see these things when I read. I want to see the advantage I have as a Christian when I go to read the Bible. There's an advantage. Look at verse 12. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. That's a good thing, right? There's a backside of this to the one who doesn't have what he has going to be taken away from him. But don't race past the first part. To the one who has, more is going to be giving. If you're a Christian, God has made sure you have something. And now he says, and even more is going to be given to you. I'm going to add to what you have. You've got some insights, I'm going to add more insights to you. You know some things, you read that Bible, you're going to find out more. I'm going to give you more. That's a promise that I take to the Bible. It kind of motivates me when I go to read the Bible. Like we looking verse 16. Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear do do, do you see the advantage you have you pick the bible up and god says i have done something different in you than the average person reading the bible i've given you eyes that can see something and ears that can hear something oh but you know god i'm not an oxford graduate I don't know if I can understand these deep things. Do, do you know who the audience is who's getting this explanation from Jesus? These dudes were from Chalmette, man. They were, they were fishermen. <laughs> this guy got white boots on sitting there. Hey, Jesus, what do you mean by that parable, man? Uh, and he's, he's telling them, listen, I, your, your eyes are blessed and your ears because I've opened them. In verse 17, for truly I say to you, Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. All right, so there's these simple people that in God's particular timing, he has opened their eyes to an awareness to what all this stuff in the Old Testament means. And they can go, wow, wow, wow. And there were righteous prophets who couldn't do that. Because God chose in this day to disclose the secrets. Was it, was it your degree? Your master's degree? Your doctorate? That's what discloses the secrets, right? See, you know, what does this do for the person who kind of pulls out the, the card that says, Well, you know, I don't really like to read. You know, I, don't, I don't really get anything out of the Bible when I read. That's not a big reader. Really? Have you read this passage ever? You see these things that are here? This is not about your reading skill. This is about the Holy Spirit at work in you to reveal things to you when you sit still and let him speak to you with his word. So there shouldn't be a Christian in here who's got that. Well, I don't really read the Bible because I'm not a big reader. Like, you know, like somewhere you found a Bible passage that says, here's the book for big readers. Oh, there it is. There's the passage right there. Yeah, that's me. That's why I love the Bible. I'm a big reader. This is a book for big readers. Uh, no, this was some simple people getting a revelation from God that he would meet you and he would reveal his word to you. So don't be afraid this week to get into God's word and spend some time there and hold still and let the Holy Spirit speak something into your life. All right, that's seeing. Seeing. Now we want to savor for a moment. And Jesus is going to help us savor. This parable actually was built for this whole series that we're doing right here. Because now we want to pull our life close to this thing. What does this mean for us? Well, unlike many of the parables, Jesus actually explains this parable. He doesn't explain some of the other ones. Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. Right now, here's, here's here's a picture, Right. God's word has come and it's gotten set before people. And now here's the image. Jesus is about to take his disciples by the hand and lead them into the word. Because interesting, they're not not getting it either. But what's different is Jesus is going to take them behind the scenes. The crowd out there, no behind the scenes visit for them. To them, just a parable about a dude throwing seeds on the ground. But for these guys, let me take you by the hand and let me show you what I'm talking about. All right, this is a dimension of what Summer Bible Jam is about. It's about not just hearing the parable of the sower, but letting the Son of God, by the Spirit of God now, because the Holy Spirit is the one who now leads us into the truth. At this point, Jesus was among them. He said, it's good for you that I go away. If I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to do what I'm doing for you right now. Right now, you don't get this thing? Let me take you by the hand and explain it to you. But how many Christians are here that only read up to verse 17. That's all I've got time for, right? And I read my weekly or daily devotional reading. I read about the parable of the sower. Did you get anything out of it? Well, not really, but that's not the point. I, just, I checked it off. I read my chapter today, and I'm good. Oh, but you didn't understand what you read, did you? Jesus, I need to make sure you understand. So he takes them by the hand, and he leads them into this passage, which is what, that's what savoring does. It's where we go from reading this book to letting it read us, right? And Jesus explains it that way. Verse 19, he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes, snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That is what was sown along The path. So Jesus begins to explain why is it that the word of God might be unfruitful in some people's lives? Why did it not fix the crowds? Why did it not have an impact the signs that were done, the teachings that were disclosed? Why didn't people respond in worship and awe? Instead, they were challenging and unbelieving and trying to connive and come up with ways to trip up Jesus. Why is it? Well, Jesus clearly says... It's a matter of the condition of your heart. Let me illustrate that. It's like soil that has a seed put in it. Not all soil conditions are the same. For some people, their heart is like this it's like a pathway, right? You got this vision of a field, got these rows in it, got this guy throwing seed, and it's going in different places when he throws it. And there's these pathways where people traffic up and down alongside these fields where the plantings are. And Jesus said, you know, some of the seed falls in that kind of a location. And what'll get in the way of fruitfulness is having a a heart like a highway rather than a cultivated field. Busy place trampled underneath by all kinds of human traffic, activities, stuff, things, ideas, just running up and down your field. Just walking all over it, making the ground unreceptive. And he says this, he says, the problem with that is that seed, it hits that soil and it sits on it and it it sits out in the open. Doesn't find its way down because it's not cultivated ground. And when it sits out in the open like that, the devil just comes along and steals it. Now, I'm not sure what particular farmer he's going to be referring to here because there was different ways of doing farmer farming. Sometimes what they would do is they would throw the seed and then that thing they'd pull behind the ox, then they would get on that thing and do that next. So what that did was it turned the soil and in turning the soil, it put the seed down into the ground. And then you'd have the seed on the pathway beside it. But where the furrows were, it was soil that had engulfed the seed. And, and, you know, boy, can't you just see in our lives how this can happen? You know, we, we we read the Bible, we just become aware of its words and its concepts, but there isn't a turning of the soil so that seed could get down inside of us and then suddenly understanding can come. We see something that we didn't see before and it... And it takes over a dimension of our heart and our belief and our understandings. Listen, today, I would say, perhaps more than ever, we live in a day conducive to having hearts like highways rather than like cultivated fields, right? There's so much stuff So much noise, so much information, so much to interact with. How many guys are just brain tired? I am. I'm brain tired. Just my brain's always busy always sorting through a high volume of noise and people and interactions and thoughts and possibilities and data and stats and who just got traded from the saints and you know all that just everything important is in my head all the time. I remember reading a book a number of years ago by a woman named Shelly Turkle wrote a book called Alone Together. It was about the information age and how we're, we're just isolating ourselves with a sense of togetherness by social media, etc. But she had a little phrase in there. I don't remember if it was hers or another person she was quoting. But it was the, it was the three letter CPA. She said, we suffer from CPA, a condition of continuous partial attention. And I thought, yeah, yeah. You know, I remember reading that book and she had little illustrations of it. She said, you know, there was a day in which you got on the subway and you had nothing to do. Right, you just twenty minutes into work, and you just gathered your thoughts, and you pondered, and you just rode on the subway, or you got to the doctor's office a few minutes early, and you had to wait a few minutes, and you sat in the waiting room, and you just had a moment where you just could just kind of slow up for a second. We don't ever do that. If we get a moment to slow up, we pull our device out. Right? If I'm in the doctor's office, I've got a few minutes, I catch up on my emails if I'm transiting somewhere, there's something that I need to do with this moment. And so our brains are always operating. They're always running. They never get below 30 miles an hour. They're always on. And so we get to the end of the day and we are exhausted. Not as though we did anything more than people were doing 20 years ago, except thought all the time. Re engage some other information. There's a little feed that comes. Oh, there's an email. Oh, a bleacher report. Oh, you know, I, I just got to be, got to keep up with all the Snapchat, ah, uh, Twitter, ah, and just all day long. And then, then, this crazy church you go to has the idea that in the summer we'd actually slow down and read the Bible like next to impossible my mind's going 70 miles an hour this thing is moving so slow do you know how many thoughts i could have had while you were talking about that thing just something mean like okay matter of fact maybe you checked your email while you're here today right there's something about god saying be still and know that i'm god that is inescapable There's a dimension to interacting with God and his word that will go untapped, unexperienced by the person who seeks to live life at this pace and thinks you can interact with God's word at the same pace. You just cannot. You will not see these things in the word. And if you see them, you will drive by them so fast as you can barely describe them, much less own them and be affected by them. And then the Bible makes a promise to you. If that word sits out there too long on the ground, the devil will come and steal it. And you'll go back to that spot and it won't be there. And the weird thing is you won't even notice that it's not there. Maybe when you get to heaven one day, you'll see it. So, I mean, just think. There's no no cultivation of the field. There's just busy highways with stuff trafficking all day long in our hearts. And you read the Bible in the morning and God says something to you. But you don't have time to let it go down in the soil. You're sitting here today and God is saying something to you. But the second you walk out this door, you will be back to that crazy pace. And you don't have another spot in your week, do you, to revisit this? Now some people do. And some people don't. And that word that meant so much to you that you were affected by a church the other day by... Zoom by, by Wednesday the devil will have stolen that. You will have forgotten that God even said anything to you this morning. And Thursday will come and poof, you'll be on and you'll be hoping Sunday something shows up. This, this parable is helpful. This parable describes heart conditions that we have some challenges with. Right, so that, that kind of leads into this next dimension, right? We've got this trafficking life taking place for us today. Then in verse 20... Jesus explains further, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This is the Christian who has developed a lifestyle of relating to God's word sort of at a devotional level. Let me just see if I can find a little word that gives me a little zip in my step today. A little pick-me-up. Or I'm having a hard day. How about a band-aid? Maybe maybe there's a scriptural band-aid available for me. I don't really even need to read this verse in context. It's got the right words in it, right? It, It had comfort in it. That's all I needed to know. It had comfort in it. Oh, wow, really, you read about Paul's admonition to comfort others with the comfort that you've received. Great, you extracted that from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And see, God wants me to be comforted. Now, I feel better about the day already that God wants me to be comforted. So I believe today God's going to make me comfortable. I've got my devotional word. The band-aid is on my life. That's my use of the Bible. Congratulations. Did you read the verses right before that one? Because right before it, the Apostle Paul tells a story about being in such dire circumstances that he despaired even of life itself. But this happened to us, that we would learn not to put our hope in men, but in God who raises the dead. So in other words, even if my circumstances lead to death, God can raise the dead And that's the hope that I have. How did Paul get that? By reading a devotional about comfort that all of a sudden I can just have comfort out of the blue? He received comfort by traveling through the valley of the shadow of death and feeling like this is going to kill me. I'm despairing. God, where are you? How can this possibly ever work out for me? We have so cheapen God's word by just grab a piece, stick it at the headline of a devotional and write something about how you clean your dishes and wouldn't your day be great if this would happen and poof off into the day we go. That's how man reads the Bible today. It's not how God intended the Bible to be read. That kind of stuff sits in you like, oh that's fun, oh that's helpful, spring up joy, I'm loving it, it's great. You won't last the end of the day. Much less the end of the week with that. But that's the, the condition of soil. That's shallow. You just receive something easily until it gets difficult. All right, and then he says, what about the heart in verse 22? It says, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Right, the cares of the world... You know, a lot of times Jesus' parables, they would kind of zing the really religious, stuffy people. So they they really are very useful. If you're a person who wants to say, you know, all you religious, uptight people with your pants too tight, you people. Y'all need to read what Jesus had to say. Because he's all over these stuffy religious people making people live a certain way. Yeah, and he did do that quite a bit. But when you read this parable, he's all over everybody. He's all over anybody who's not letting God's word, whether that is a word of hope, a word of conviction, word of encouragement, a word of revelation about God, you're not letting it in. and It's not affecting you. And each one of these conditions of the soil, this last one is just cares. You just care about other stuff. You're just all entangled in the cares of this world. Really, what, what kind of stuff might that be? You know, Maybe you're some guy here this morning and just caught up in career, blinded by everything else and just stressed out by the next step and the next venture, and the next position, and the next thing to achieve and accomplish and you're just caught up in that. You're just absorbed in that. Or you could be a teenager here just absorbed in, in Xbox. And just to, I just live just to stare at a screen and get really good at something that will never pay me. And you're just absorbed in that. Right? You, you, could, you could be a woman here who's absorbed in social media. Just absorbed. Just that's a, that's a care. You know, you just keep up with that. You, you could be here absorbed in worrying about stuff. You could be a penny pincher who watches every dime and every penny a certain way because you're so afraid of what life might be if you fall short in the financial category. And You're absorbed in that. And the Bible says, you know, you get absorbed in this kind of stuff, and and the Word of God doesn't penetrate your heart. It gets choked out. And that word comes, and you had your Bible reading this morning, but those thorns are all inside your heart, and they just encroach on that thing and choke it. And rather than it producing fruit that makes you have joy, or repent, or believe big about God, or worship Him and fall before His feet, I'm just all worried again. Just just can't get past it. This is the conditions that are here. Now let me make this last point. Eric, you could go ahead and come up. This is clearly a passage for everybody reading it because these two audiences are present on this day of those who get behind the scenes information because they're in relation with God and those who do not. So there is a receiving of God's word that leads to relationship with God. There's a receiving of God's message that when received by faith and we turn to God in repentance and faith and agree with God, that actually brings the spirit of God into our lives in a living way and we become alive to God. So you you could be here this morning and that's you. That was me at one point in my life. That was many people here at one point in their lives. I had not received God's word in a way that saved me and altered the person of who I was and brought God's spirit to life inside of me. So the very first thing that's got to happen is that. To come to a place where you receive the word of salvation. The word of the work of the spirit of God through Jesus Christ. But that's not the only application for this parable. Because this parable is simply about the seed of God's word interacting with soil. And I've been saved a long time. And yet I find those other three soils describing me in ways that are not letting God's word get transferred into me in a deeper way and be more impacting of me. And the Bible's very big. I won't look at those verses that are in the close of your outline, but you can go do that on your own. In 1 Peter, 2 Peter, those passages. All over the Bible, there's this expectation that Christians will grow. That's normal. I came to Christ, and there was a season of years of growth and transformation and change and things that were in my life no longer being in my life and new things coming into my life things that never characterized me beginning to characterize me i may have had a reputation for being the most angry hothead you'd ever known and when the spirit of god began to work in me the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace reminds me there was a lady in the church dear dear lady for years and years and years she prayed for her husband and prayed for her husband and prayed for her husband, he was lost, prayed for her husband, prayed for her. And of course, she's telling us a little bit about her husband along the way, and just this rascal, difficult, hard man. And I don't know. he, he must have been in his 70s when he got saved, at least. And God so radically transformed that man. And his character was so not like any of that. I used to laugh at her and say, You've been lying to us all these years, haven't you? This guy is sweet and nice and great to be around. What are you talking about? Because the Bible installs the idea that when God's word gets in us, it it changes us. It makes us grow and become something we weren't. It gives us new characteristics and new abilities. Unless you got a soil problem. So if you're absorbed in the cares of this world and the thorns of life or choking God's word and it doesn't have an impact on you. Or you're living a life that's installed highways in your heart and you come to places like this and you open your Bible up and there's no room. For God's word to travel down and penetrate. And you've learned to live some shallow life that goes from, yippity-doo, God's great. And then you're depressed and you can't function and you want to slit your wrist, And then, oh, ho, oh, I saw something at a conference. And you back that way again. That's a shallow experience. There's something wrong with that. But this is not just a word for those people who need to get right with Jesus today. This is a word for everybody that's got a, a heart that has to receive God's word into it. So many of Jesus' parables they live on beyond just conversion. They speak to us about how do I receive God's word? So so right now you've been sitting here listening to this, we've been seeing some things in this passage, and hopefully you've pulled your life close to this passage and you have a sense for which soil is mine. What's God saying to me about the adventure of reading his Bible? What what would I need to receive from God this morning and respond to, right? Much of what we do receiving is responding. You're going to come into agreement with God? You're going to receive what he has for you? You're going to transfer it into real life? That's what responding means, right? right? So right now, can you just pull this passage really close to you if you haven't done that already? Just close your eyes. You and the Lord... Listening for the Holy Spirit, he's, he's with us, right? He wants to take us by the hand and lead us into this passage. Expose our lives. Listen. Listen carefully. Some of you don't know how to listen. I'm serious. You're sitting here and you have no idea how to Listen. All right, well, then receive this your life is so noisy so noisy you cannot stay in this condition you cannot you're sitting here this morning you don't know how to quiet your soul you cannot stay there you need to be serious right now about telling God God I can't stay here God I don't even know how to be still right now and listen for you that's become so foreign to me don't tell God I need help I need some serious help. I don't want you to be a stranger in my life, God. I don't want your voice to never be heard. Jesus is telling this parable. If you're here today and you're a person who gets to see the secrets, you get to go behind the scenes, you get to let him take you by the hand, then there's great hope that whatever you're seeing right now is going to change. He's at work. He has promised you something. His Spirit is in you to enable you to make you willing to do of his good pleasure. So don't be afraid to own that description that's describing you. sensing that God is speaking to you about the highway like condition of your heart too much traffic too little quietness God has shown you that what are you going to do with that how can you respond right now do you have faith that that can be different God would you bring faith right now could you remind us that you're for us Would you enable us to come into agreement with you and to say, Lord, that can be different. I know it can be different. Because I know of all the treasures in this world, of all the things that I need to get to, Lord, there's nothing more valuable than you. In the end, that's what matters most. God is showing you that you've been living this shallow, emotion-based Christian life that doesn't have enough truth in it. Just moments of responding after moments of responding. Respond to him now. Ponder, listen. What does God want to do differently in your life? How does he want to transform you into a soil that's deep and rich that receives what God has for you? Maybe you're like many of us in the soil that's overgrown with cares, fears, concerns. Feel like we're in over our head, overwhelmed, needs that we just didn't get to again, a lack of resources that feel like we'll never be able to do it, more attempts and more efforts a life that's so full of stuff and people and things. There's so many cares. So little place to encounter God. Lord, would you speak to us in these moments. Lord, cares are not wrong. We're supposed to care about things, people, and circumstances. Lord, we're not wrong for having those things. But Lord, when they become thorns that choke out the life of your word god that's not the right place so lord get let grace flow to us lord the grace that makes us alive the grace that finds us and says look you get to see behind the scenes god the grace that moves on our behalf before we even know to ask you to move on our behalf god this morning we appeal to that grace Lord, we want to be soil where there's a 30, 60, and 100-fold return. God, we want to be soil where your word is transforming and renewing and strengthening. God, we want to have encounters with you that build us into a different person, that launch us into an amazing mission. God, that's that's who we want to be. Lord, you are at work for that to be true. Take us by the hand into your word and transform our
1: souls. Grace and peace, oh, how can this be for lawbreakers and thieves, for the worthless, the least. You have said that our judgment is death For all eternity without hope, without rest Oh, what an amazing mystery What an amazing mystery That your grace has come to me and peace oh how can this be the matchless king of all paid the blood price for me slaughtered lamb what atonement you bring the vilest sinner's heart can be cleansed can be free oh What an amazing mystery, what an amazing mystery that your grace has come to me. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Let this be our response to his grace. Grace and peace, oh, how can this be? Let songs of gratefulness never rise, never cease. Loved by God and called as a saint, my heart is satisfied in the riches of Christ. Oh, what an amazing mystery, what an amazing mystery. That your grace has come to me. That your grace has come to me. Sing, oh, what an amazing love. Oh, what an amazing love I see. What an amazing love I see. That your grace has come to me. What an amazing love I see! What an amazing love I see! That Your grace has come to me. Grace and peace. Oh, how can this be? Let songs, let songs of gratefulness. Ever rise, never cease. Loved by God and called as a saint, my heart is satisfied in the riches of Christ. Oh, what an amazing mystery! What an amazing mystery! That your grace has come to me Lord, would we live in light of this reality? God that grace has come to us. Lord, that we did not we did not stumble upon in our own intelligence, our own goodness. We do not stumble upon your grace. Lord, you, you gave your grace to us. Lord, and so as we leave this place this morning and we we endeavor to read and to see and to hear you in your word, God, would you, would you remind us that it's your grace that gives life to us. Lord, so we, we ask you for your life this week. Lord, be near to us as we encounter your word. Lord, Humble us. Lord, humble us in this revelation of your grace this week, we pray. Thank you for the mystery of the gospel and the love of Christ for us. let us, Let it affect us. Let us live our lives in light of it. In your name we pray, God, we pray. Amen. You guys have a great week.